APU. American Public University is proud to present Innovations in the Workplace. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Curley. Today, we will be chatting about how artificial intelligence can help the 2020 pandemic and the economic stresses being experienced. Today, my guest is Dr. Oliver Hedgepeth, who is a professor at American Public University. He has many years of experience working with artificial intelligence. Oliver, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Wanda. I think this is going to be a, a really exciting subject, uh, and people don't usually think of the pandemic and artificial intelligence in the same breath. Absolutely. You have vast experience in AI, another term for artificial intelligence. How are researchers using AI today to help with the pandemic? I started in it in about 1985 when I was the uh, director of the Army's AI Center, the first AI Center. And we started developing things, machine-based tools to help people sort through, you know, really millions of pieces of data to uh, try to find a trend because humans can't read millions of pieces of data. And, and we found there there were some army things that had uh, 17 books that you had to read through of data to find something about an army tank. And that was hard to do. And so we thought AI would help ease the problem. It's gotten better, a lot better. And that's the kind of technology the science community has started today with pandemics. In fact, uh, one of the things that's most exciting is that the pandemic does create volumes of data. Data being, here's some information of how a uh, potential chemical helped one patient. Well, you used President Trump. You know, he used a chemical. Uh, they used it on him, and he seems to be okay. They've used similar chemicals before to others, and they drop dead. So that's two pieces of data. One lives, one dies. And so that's one, two pieces of data. The interesting thing about this data, you think it's just out there, um, and it is. And the data is written in validated documents, you know, procedures uh, that are journals, uh, peer-reviewed journals, academic journals. And there are about 200 journal articles that define each type of example I just said, yes, 200 that are published each day, each day. Now, just remember, 200 journal articles come to you each day, and you've got to read through it and find out maybe some chemical work, some chemical didn't work. That's what's going on today in the scientific world. That's kind of an opening uh, of what we're going to be doing today. Um, so the pandemic that's infecting America and the world, uh, it is really exciting. And the word AI is being used to help explain how we're managing some of this data. So Oliver, you talk about uh, 200 journal articles, which are peer reviewed, although I would guess they're quickly peer reviewed nowadays, uh, especially when it has to do with COVID. How can researchers keep up with that even with AI, because there's going to be information, as you said, w that is contradictory. So what is a researcher looking for uh, from AI and those kind of things? The hospitals are producing a lot of this data. 
And yes, there are 200 professional journals that they're produced probably quicker now than uh, a year ago, only because the push on trying to find a solution for this pandemic is so hard now. About two years ago, people were pushing these documents to get published on what's happening to everything, bad diseases. But March 16th, the White House Office Chief of, uh, Office of Science and Technology issued something called a call to action, a call to action document. And they ask all the universities, MIT, Harvard, all around the world, to try to develop some new text data mining software. We have it out there, but uh, they said, let's do it, okay? And I guess they gave money to do it. And since then, um, one company called the Allen Institute of AI, uh, they've, they were really pushing hard on trying to tie together all these databases, these, these publications. And even Google's involved in this. Wouldn't you believe that even Google is involved in tracking this data to try to find valid things? <laughs> it's money. And if you were to do a search, and I hope people listening do a search on the pandemic and artificial intelligence, you will find uh, database systems like uh, AlphaFold or DeepMind or Semantic Scholar and COVID Scholar and things like Blue Dot, okay? And and out of London, Benevolent AI, Benevolent AI. These companies are coming together and trying to develop their computer programs that look for specific things that AI can manage better than humans can, only because they do it faster. And that, that's one of the things that's happening right now. Interesting. Very interesting. So what aspects of the pandemic can AI help with? Uh, I, I mean, it can't do everything, but it could help in some areas. What do you, from your research, what do you think it, it's doing the best at? Well, uh, the one thing is it's doing it, doing a good job in terms of finding what does not seem to work. You may have a, a physician in Montana who says, I tried this and boy, I think it works. The AI system can track the data like that after it's been published and find out that, yeah, it worked there in that one case for that one patient who was 39 years old, who also had a series of other medical problems maybe that helped him survive but there may be other cases where it was done in London or some other part of the United States where a similar person, it didn't work for them. Here's the thing about AI. Artificial intelligence will do a real good job of tracking data and saying, here's a trend. But we still need humans to look at AI. Don't rely on AI to say, this is it. You still have to kind of manage it. And that example I just said, you know, it might be that, not that AI is going to be wrong, but AI will say, here's the trend. Here's where you should be going. And uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'm always skeptical a little bit. I mean, I am really an AI proponent, an advocate. But I remember when I started out in the 1980s and 90s in AI, we developed autonomous vehicles. I was working with autonomous vehicles, robot cars. 
okay? And the robot cars would ride down the road, and that was really cool. And it was riding down a black asphalt road. And it's going around the curves and everything, and it stops at a stop sign. And then it turns left at a shadow of a tree that's crossing the black asphalt. And its AI software said, black road. It looks like a black road. So it will turn left, follow the shadow, and smack right into the tree. So AI has progressed a lot since then, but you still have to be careful of uh, some of the aspects of it. The one thing is we can solve a lot of these problems, these trends, a little faster with with such uh, software. And even the banking system is getting involved in this. Do you realize that? Even the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, for example, I ran into them the other day. Even they sit down, sit down at their conference tables and talk about how AI is helping pandemic, mainly from their economic aspect, because they want to make money. Uh, we hear about the vaccine and that it's coming, you know, depending on who you listen to, it could be weeks, it could be a few months, but it sounds like it's coming fairly quickly. So do you think AI could help the research scientists determine who gets the vaccine first? First, I could argue that young should receive it first, or I could then flip it and say those over 60 should receive it first. So will AI help those outside of the healthcare providers uh, to determine who should get the vaccine first? Now, there's a good ethical question for you. Uh, ethics is involved. Uh, the doctors face these dilemmas all the time. That's a real good question, in fact. Uh, probably one of the best questions you can ask. If you're a physician, you're a doctor, you're already using AI software, smart machine software. You're, you're doing testing, and the test comes back uh, from an automated robot-type system that says, okay, this patient who's 95 years old, and here's one 65, here's one 35, and here's one 15 years old, okay? And you've got to make a decision about which one might live longer. And uh, the AI system will say, here's the, here's the one we choose. <laughs> and the AI system says, I choose this one. You know, the AI system might just choose to let the 15-year-old kid die. It's, it's, a, it's an ethical decision. And that's where I come back to saying always, uh, AI, it's not a robot. It's not like something out of a science fiction movie. It's a helpful tool. It's, it's a tool like a pencil or an eraser, you know, that writes down a number and then can erase the number. Um, but it still needs a lot of human aspects. There will be doctors who use the AI system to help them make a decision. In my lifetime, I've lived long enough to stand by the bedside of a relative and the doctor says, do you want to unplug him or not? And the decision was mine to make. The decision was my wife to make. And the doctor, smart as they are, they don't make the decision. They tell you all the things, but they say this person's basically dead. I've lived long enough to have the examples of where the person was disconnected from the machine and everybody's waiting around for them to die and say goodbye and say prayers. And all of a sudden, their eyes pop open 
And they're like, God, I'm hungry. It, it is amazing. We don't know everything there is to know, unfortunately, about medicine. Um, but it is an ethical issue. I do expect that in a volume-type triage, and what you're talking about is really triage. You look at MASH, which is a, a funny movie. It's really real in terms of the decisions they make. You get 20 combat soldiers and the doctors are going by saying, this one, this one, this one. Or you look at the movies about Pearl Harbor, you know, and our soldiers attacked. And the doctors and nurses are trying to figure out which ones to bring in the hospital and which ones not to. And I remember uh, decisions being made by nurses and they're taking their lipstick and putting a, a mark on the person's forehead. And basically that said, anybody who sees this, you make this person feel comfortable. You tell him he's going to live. We're going to take care of you. But you know he's going to be dead in about five minutes. It's a triage type of question. And it's, I don't see an easy answer to it. We're in a combat situation now. It's just its an unbelievable number. And that's a triage environment. The hospitals are still overwhelmed. Uh, the doctors and nurses are working nonstop. God bless them. I mean, I have... Nothing but respect. I have respect for soldiers, military people. But let me tell you, these doctors and nurses are like the military soldiers on the front line. And I have great respect for them. And they have to make these decisions. Uh, and I, I read a report from a nurse, and it just breaks your heart to read it. She has to make a decision every hour of the day about someone to die. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough field to be in right now. So, Oliver, we, we've talked a little bit about the different COVID treatments. Um, why do you think we have so many different treatments at this time? And how will AI help doctors to determine which are the best treatments for which ages and depending on symptoms? This is a disaster. Pandemic is a disaster. But there's a good thing that's happening, and, and it relates to your question immediately. We have seen an increase in research that normally takes, usually takes three to five years. But I do believe that because of AI, it's linking all these databases together, databases that had never been linked before together, databases of doctor's results, of scientific research on animals that's going on at various universities and various research clinics that are trying out different different chemicals. I do believe because it's 24-7 research on this and the data is being shared so much, people aren't working faster, but the data is being analyzed faster. This is the first time this has ever happened because this is a crisis. And it's a war zone. It really is a war zone. Uh, we, we were under attack, the whole country. And it really energized people. I'm a chemistry major from my undergraduate days. The three-dimensional molecule that this disease, COVID-19, looks like, they found out what it looks like instantly with a few AI things to look at different chemicals and how to model. They found the model exactly. Here's what it is. And they've been trying to study and how to break one piece of that little thing off and put something in there that will stop it from growing when it gets into near the cells, the protein cells inside the body. The AI started that. They know what it looks like. 
but how to break that one little piece so it doesn't work is it's what's going on. And AI is showing how that's been done in one lab and it didn't work. Another lab, it didn't work. Another lab, it didn't work. Another lab, it did work. But AI, again, is coming in that, that realm too. Instead of waiting six months, it's projecting ahead, given similar tests that have taken place in the past many years, decades. Here's what might happen if you do this test, this test, this test, to come to a positive result. Now, again, I think, I think the key thing is, it's like our human brain. AI is taking our brain and, uh, and allowing us to think you know, a million times faster, really a million times faster. And a lot of the data we're talking about is, it does, it is really millions of pieces of data being analyzed per second. Yes, yes, it's amazing. So Oliver, when I was doing some research uh, for this, I ran across an article about a 14-year-old that entered some, it's a science fair type, I can't remember, but it was sponsored by a company. And she actually found a protein that none of the researchers had found that binds to the COVID and stops it in its tracks. And my son and I were actually discussing that. And he said, you know, we don't give teenagers enough credit for their ability to think out of the box. So I wonder if maybe a cure, which I think AI will help with, will come maybe from teenagers. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, you got a good point there, um, a very good point. I am a scientist. I'm a chemist. I'm a physicist. I'm a mathematician. Very, very boring stuff. As a scientist, I follow procedures and rules to the letter, and so do these doctors. And they're producing this data for the AI system to rethink faster. But a lot of solutions have come from thinking outside the box. Uh, I do believe penicillin was found by an accident, too. If I go back, uh, it's an accident. Thinking outside the box is important parallel with going through the normal procedures. There's a conventional approach where you do multiple tests and, and do testing, and then you phone patients, and they're admitted, and then you get symptoms, and you get a recovery phase, and then you retest them again and, and until you get to a positive result or a negative result. And AI kind of jumps ahead of that. So you're right. It is going to be exciting. Yes. So today I'm speaking to Dr. Oliver Hedgepath. He is talking about what AI can help us with the pandemic and with economic stressors in our life. We will be right back. At American Public University, we believe quality education must be more affordable. That's why, as a leader in online higher education, we focus on minimizing costs and maximizing return on learner investment. And we believe higher education must be more accessible. So our online programs start every month. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. We are back and talking to Dr. Oliver Hedgepath about AI and how it can help with the pandemic and economic stressors. So, Oliver, I want to switch gears a little bit. We've been talking about um, COVID and healthcare, but let's switch over to what the pandemic has done to economic stress for many individuals in many countries. How will AI help this, or will it? Well, it's interesting. Um 
I'll start first with uh, America and then move over to, to London, because I'm talking to people from both. The Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia just held a meeting, I think a couple of weeks ago. I was reading about it. I was looking up some pandemic AI material and wound up listening to a bank. They talked about the current COVID-19 and AI applications and how it's solving many life-threatening problems. But what they started talking about was the economy. And the economy has seen increasing you know, automation in industries. They were talking about how the AI stuff is spanning manufacturing and to food service and office work. And about the COVID-19 pandemic, they said, you know, has ensured really uh, that we'll be transitioning to using more AI, really a lightning speed. And they, they were using the word lightning speed. And, uh, and what we've seen in these last, I say, five, six months is a lightning speed increase in thinking about the economy and investment. So the bankers are thinking, now here's the banking side. The bankers are already, and the Wall Street people are already thinking about how to invest money into certain companies that may be flourishing. Could be companies that are developing these vaccines, other uh, aspects, or it could be some kind of uh, food or whatever we need. Uh, We're seeing companies that are failing during this pandemic. The economic crisis is killing a lot of companies. Uh, and it's happening over in Europe. I've been working with uh, a group in London on the economic circularity, you know, circular economics, economic cycles that are going around where you don't want to waste anything. And this pandemic is causing people to think about waste. People don't have money to buy food. So if we can develop food and other things that aren't wasted, you're using your money wiser so there's some, it's kind of a side effect happening here. Companies are thinking how to save money by not wasting anything. For example, the plastic water bottle that we have drink water out of, the purified drinking water, there, there's a company that will take the water bottle and actually 100% recycle it to be used in various other items that need plastic. It never goes to a waste area. It never goes to a trash can. And people are starting to think like that in Europe, uh, especially, and, uh, and a lot of places over here in America, too. Uh, so I see, I see a lot of things that are happening on the business side, the economic side. And, and this is related to how the pandemic and AI is, AI is helping pandemic. AI is also helping them think through and identify where can you now use ground-up plastic and some other clo- uh, cl- a clothing material item or some other food you can ingest somehow. You know, they've taken food and redo it, regrow it, uh, how to make it uh, survive against viruses that would take a corn crop down or how to find a virus that would kill a hog or, you know, turkey. You know, you've got turkeys that one little disease and then you know, 10,000 turkeys have to be slaughtered. And so it's being used in, in many, many other areas. It's just so exciting in that economic sense. So it sounds like through this circular economy that maybe there's, while some businesses are dying off due to whatever, they can't, they go bankrupt or whatever. But it sounds like other uh, businesses may be created because people are thinking more about how to be more 
fruitful and use things without throwing it away. Did I kind of capture that in in a sense? Yes. Yes, you did. The circle economics part is all part of what we call reverse logistics. Uh, reverse logistics is uh, reusing something. You, you throw something away. You don't necessarily throw it in a trash can. You just reuse it. For example, I've got a coffee maker and I've got a, a dehumidifier at home. And I've contacted a company and they want both of them because they want to clean them up and resell them on the market. They're not going to be torn apart and going to the trash and, and torn into little pieces of metal and plastic to go elsewhere. They'll be resold on a market. The market might be in Mexico, might be in South America. We're finding that's what the circle economic thing is all about. And AI, by the way, is, is really helping, helping out a great deal. So I am so excited to see that this technology is it's being used, but it's behind the scenes. You don't really know that uh, your life is <laughs> being driven and, and helped in many ways with AI. So I, I recently read an article that AI is helping small businesses during the shutdown. How do you see AI helping small businesses and large businesses for that matter? Wow, that's a good one. And it's really exciting because AI is right here in front of us on our computers. The AI software is you, you put in your job description, you say, I need a job, and bam. The software that's grabbing your your background information is AI software. It's a smart machine. You, you're looking for a certain job, and it knows where to go look in different companies for your talent. Your resume now is, you might say it's shorter. You can write it physically shorter, one page, here are the key things that are about me, but you're already on the system. Uh, what a lot of people applying for jobs don't know is I used to work for AT&T, and that was before all this AI got as, as sophisticated as it was. But at AT&T, we already knew who you were when you applied for our jobs. You applied for our job, you say, here's who I am, blah, blah, blah. And you're sitting at the time we did have you come in, the best person come in, and you're sitting across from a person with a computer screen. You don't see the computer screen, but the AI software is pulling up everything you ever did from the day you were born. You've got, and they've got it right there, and it's legal for them to get uh, to find all this information. And it's being pulled from sources you didn't expect. And today it's even more sophisticated. So, all these, all these companies know who you are. You know, I talked to the Federal Reserve Bank. Now and then I got some friends there. They, they know who people are. They want to hire them. They know it because the background is already there. There's enough information from Facebook and chats and everything you've done. It gets pulled all together. So it will help you find a better job for you searching, uh, and the job may find you. Kind of winding this up, Oliver, do you think in the long run will AI help us through the economic stresses that we're uh, experiencing today? People will lose jobs, but those people will be given other opportunities because what we'll be doing with AI, AI is not getting rid of our jobs. AI will become another tool. It's like this computer we're talking on. There was a time in my, my generation we were fearful of these computers because they were going to take our jobs away. And they did. I remember looking at one of my textbooks. 
that showed 100 accountants in a room. Photograph, 100 accountants. Each one was a man. <laughs> it was a man with a coat and tie on, had an adding machine, had pencils and paper, and they were doing accounting, taxes or something. And the IBM computer came in, and a few years later, that same room is an empty, empty warehouse with one person, a woman, sitting behind the computer, typing away, doing all those accounting things that those 100 men used to do. They lost their jobs. The thing is, that person behind the computer got a job and got a better paying job too. Technology will replace people, but you've got to uh, understand how technology changes. This is normal. But in the end, we are better off. AI is better. Look what's happened with AI and this quarantine stuff right now. It is better. Look at when you go shopping. Right now, you can go shopping sitting at your desk. You can call up the grocery store and there's a young person who will be picking out your vegetables for you and your cans of soup, put it in a cart and have it out front for you or drive it to your house. Things are getting better. That's technology is helping to do that as well. So it's going to be an interesting ride. And I do believe we're going to be better off. But I do believe the AI system, the AI technology is not going to go away. It's going to make our lives better. So, Oliver, thank you very much for joining me today. Do you have any last parting words? Yes. AI technology is no different than any technology. Uh, we started out having a saw that was a hand saw to cut wood. And then someone invented electricity, and they figured out how to put a chain on a piece of metal and call it a chainsaw. And you can cut a tree down in five, five seconds versus five minutes. Technology has always been with us. And I, I encourage everybody to look up how the pandemic uses AI or just look up pandemic and AI. And I did this morning, and I found 7,230,000 hits. So it's here. Thank you very much for this session. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can learn more about this topic and similar issues in artificial intelligence by reviewing other blogs and podcasts. Stay well and see you soon. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU, American Public University.